everybody, and welcome to Roll It, a movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Ty Lohr. How you doing, Ty? What's going on, man? Oh, not much, but we're uh, we're finally talking about it. We're 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 doing the the big hit of the year. Well, I guess the second. I love how you said not much, but there's so much. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, what's not up? Much, You're like, not much. Anyways, here's all the stuff that's up, this bro. Podcast. Um, <laughs> because we're talking about it. We're talking about the 2023 film directed by Christopher Nolan, starring starring Killian Murphy and a bunch of other people, Oppenheimer. So, Ty. Dude, uh, just a rock star cast. Rock star. I mean, dude, it is just like people are just coming in for like, thir- like 30 seconds and that's it. It was like, oh, yeah, there's Enrico Fermi, you know, famed scientist mm-hmm. Enrico Fermi for 30 seconds. And it's like, you know, it's just like every single one off 30 second character is a famous actor and like just knocking it out of the park. Just everybody's just hitting doubles. We have extra base hits I- from everybody. A hundred percent. We have so much to talk about when it comes to that. Uh, cause, um, dude, I went, I went deep on this. I watched a lot of behind the scenes. I watched a lot of interviews with Nolan. I couldn't get enough, man. I couldn't get enough of Oppenheimer after I saw it. Oh man. You know, I love to hear that. Okay, let's go. Uh, <laughs> so you, when did you see this? Did you see this last? Well, week, I'm, I'm week? holding a ticket in my hand right now. I saw it on the 25th. Okay. Okay. So, so. it wasn't, it was like, yeah early the week after it came out or the after opening weekend so yeah tell me uh what'd you think about it and you didn't just so we're you know we we cover our bases or you know of the barbenheimer phenomenon uh you did not do the double feature because you didn't I go did not. weekend so you did i have first, i have seen both yeah i have seen both movies later. yeah exactly i've seen both movies they were at separate times in two different theaters um right and to be honest, I'm happy about that. And I want to I want to get your take, you know, on the on the Barbenheimer thing because I don't think I think I I think I would have not liked I liked both movies, right? I loved Oppenheimer. I think it was way like I think it was the best film that I've seen in a long time. I have so much to talk about with it. But um with Barbie, it was fine. It was a good movie. I think I would have not liked Barbie if it would have been shown right after I sat through 3 hours of the greatest film that I've seen in the last 5 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? So. Yeah. No, it's 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 well, I'll get into mine. Keep going. Tell me about no. your Oppenheimer. Oh, well, I, I want to know. Yeah, so I went on a Tuesday at 12:30, dude. And okay. it was it was it was great, man. I got I I got a fine seat. A lot of old people, which was cool. <laughs> it was it was kind of cool because like every once in a while, like the last movie I've seen in a theater was Dune. Uh crazy you so, host a movie what was podcast, that 20 i know seen man. a movie in theaters since before the pandemic i know i know no it's crazy, crazy. it's crazy oh it was that no dune was after the pandemic no dune was 2019 wasn't no. it no dune was 2021 oh yeah you're right, right. yeah yeah it was after the pandemic yeah i mean it was still a long time ago but uh yeah, you're right i was getting and the only reason i know is because i loved dune and i think i think the and here, here's what I was getting at in general. I loved Dune so much, and I and I've watched it again on HBO Sense on my big TV, and that's cool. But the theater experience amped it up for me, I think, and I think it did the same thing with Oppenheimer because it, um, 
like there's no other distractions, especially for me who gets distracted by everything. And usually when I'm watching a movie, it's like I have my computer over here and I'm doing something else. And then there's three dogs running around and I'm petting the dogs or I get up to grab something to eat. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. like usually if I'm watching a movie, even if it's downstairs, like where I like to watch my movies and stuff, it's still there's still distractions. So the movie theater, no distractions and you can just lock in. And uh, I think that really helped with Oppenheimer. Because mm-hmm. it made it so much more of an experience, and and I'm not I'm not big on seeing movies in theaters twice. I don't think I've ever done that. Actually, I'm thinking yeah. back. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen the same movie in theaters twice. Um, I am probably going to see Oppenheimer again in theaters. Uh, I would love, and and we talked about this a little bit before we hit the record button too, but um. I mean, you might even see it three times, and I don't blame you. I would love to. Uh, we would. I would love to see it in IMAX, and I know you would too. That's like the. It's like the yeah, team. I'm planning on seeing it in IMAX. Yeah, we were. We thought briefly about doing getting together for a seventy millimeter, but that's. Yeah. Not only is that six hours away from me, um, but also <laughs> every. I mean, I look. Yeah, it's just like every single seat is sold out for like the entire run. So yeah, it's just Dude, it's not so hard. Feasible. I even looked for myself. Um, I was gonna get my own ticket to go down seventy millimeter. Um, yeah, let's go to sit in the front corner. It's like two hours. Yeah, uh, and, and exactly that's exactly <laughs> it, dude. It was all the all the best seats. I mean, like I don't want to say all the best seats, but if I'm gonna see if I'm gonna see an IMAX movie, but if I'm gonna see Oppenheimer in seventy millimeter, I don't want to have a trash seat. You know what I mean? Like no, no, yeah, like no, the, the closest point? to the screen the in the corner. It's like that's gonna just ruin the experience for me. I would rather see it in a comfortable seat, preferably dead center. <laughs> like for that, I usually am never like that too. I'm like a, I'm, I like my leg room, obviously. But I, I always got to sit dead center. If I can't sit dead center, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I like, I like to be. I don't mind the center i don't like to be too close or too far away i like to be in the center of like the the pack the theater group right or the uh-huh. seating group theater group the seating group um i like to be like in the middle but i don't mind being on like the ends and stuff just because i love that extra leg room for me but uh if i'm seeing an imax dude i'll get dead center give me dead center all day long yeah and that's i mean you talk about like not seeing a movie in imax which we were just talking about before the theater we might go to see dune part two together in IMAX. That'd be fun. That'd um, be so cool. But the whole thing is like nobody, I mean, besides there's like no, which Dune, I guess, but really Nolan is like the only filmmaker who makes films with IMAX in mind. Like IMAX is Christopher Nolan. Uh, and like, they're so tied together. Like he is the only one who, who makes films, who shoots films like with so it's, much shot yeah. in IMAX with IMAX cameras I saw, uh, speaking about Dune, there was, like, uh, a, a hubbub, like, last week or whatever, at some point recently, about Dune was going to take the all the IMAX screens away from, uh, or going to have all the IMAX screens and, uh, what is it, the Marvels? Uh, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have any. And like some people were upset and everybody, and a bunch of people were like celebrating, uh, that cinema beat, uh, the MCU. Yeah. But it's like, that's because one of those was filmed with IMAX in mind, you know, like Dune, Dune is an IMAX. It's, it's part of the thought process where like the Marvels, it does not matter. Like who cares? Uh, At least in my opinion. And it's like not shot 
on IMAX cameras or for IMAX. It's just shot as yeah. just a normal MCU movie, and they were just going to put in IMAX to get more money, you know, effectively. Yep. Uh, and it doesn't really add anything to the experience. Um, but just going back what I was saying earlier, like, so, like, IMAX is not, like, normally it doesn't really matter except for, like, Nolan because of how much care and thought he puts into it. So, like, all these IMAX, there's, that's why there's, like, so few. But then when Nolan drops it, like, the 70 millimeter screens are all sold out forever because they normally don't have anything to do. And then yeah. Nolan drops his and then they're sold out for the entire run. It's like, well, I wish there was, you know, a 70 millimeter IMAX screen closer than six hours away. But there's probably going to be a few years till there's another worthwhile screening in a 70 millimeter IMAX screen. You know what I mean? So it's yep. it's a shame that it's not more feasible or that more directors or more filmmakers didn't do what Nolan is doing. But it's hard and it's expensive. And it. It takes it's, it takes so much more time, money, and patience. And I and I think another thing that it takes, which is, um, I I don't think it's overlooked at all, especially with Nolan. But it it takes so much talent from the director, and mm. and I and like to just make it worthwhile. And yeah, exactly to make it like. And dude, when you were saying how Nolan and IMAX are pretty much interchangeable at this point, like there like, are they he are made one. IMAX. He pretty much made IMAX. Dude, it, it, I mean, it's even crazier though. This is this is how, but this is how influential he is in IMAX. Well, I'm not in IMAX. In uh, I'm sorry. This is how influential he is just in the film world. Kodak manufactured the the black and white. So, I mean, we have an like. Do we need a summary? Uh, I wrote one, but <laughs> you if wrote you one? I was I just going to say, I mean, it's the, it's a biopic of Robert or, uh, J, J. Robert Oppenheimer, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, the summer, go read American Prometheus. That's the summer. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we can which skip neither, the summary which, for uh, this in, one. in classic fashion. Me. Neither one of us have read. Uh, yeah, I do want to read it though. I mean, it is a, I mean, it is a doorstop though. It is. Yeah. It's long. It's a it's a it's a cinder block for sure. My uh, yeah. my brother in law read it and he said it was really great. He read it before he saw the movie. Um, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to read it. It's it's on my reading list, but there's a long list ahead of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what, what were you anyway, saying about yeah, let's, Kodak? Oh, I was just gonna say. Oh, all right. Yeah. So there's there's two different one of the there's a lot of significant things in this film, and, and I'm sure we're gonna dive into it right, but. One of the significant things in this film is is that there's two um, there's there's two fil- different films used. So when Christopher Nolan shoots on IMAX film, he's shooting on he, he doesn't shoot color and then change it to black and white. So he shot the black and white scenes in black and white film, right? Which is first of all crazy because there's no safety net in the editing room, none. You know what I mean? I mean, like, sure, you I guess you could if you really wanted to. You could take some color film and and cut it and then change it right digitally afterward, mm-hmm. but that's not how he rolls, and that's not their process. Anyways, um, they shot all the and it wouldn't it wouldn't look the same, right? If if one shot on black and white film and the other's just converted to black and white, there's no they. Uh, no, a trained eye can definitely look. tell the difference, yeah. and and when they're going to be seen back to back or uh, cut scenes and stuff, you would be able to tell. So here's how insane it goes though. Kodak manufactured the black and white film for 65 millimeter for the for the cameras. They they 
specifically created it's 2023 anyone who is listening and shoots film knows the significance of this because film is so hard there was there was such a lack of production on kodak film for so long that it shot the price up and then they cut specific film stocks um and then uh with the rise of film photography again it's kind of uh you know kodak's kind of getting some traction and uh i think oppenheimer really lifted Kodak on a pedestal because not only does Oppenheimer have its entire own page on Kodak's website, um, where Kodak is just like Oppenheimer was shot on our film, baby. And, and then it just links out, <laughs> but, uh, they created the, the black and white films, Eastman double X black and white. So you can shoot Eastman double X black and white, but you can't shoot Eastman, uh, double X black and white in a 65 millimeter camera. It was never that big. So mm-hmm. it was specifically manufactured for Nolan. That's how, much of an influence he is in the film genre and and to think about the amount there wasn't it like 11 miles of film or yeah something like 11 that? mile film printed for the imax 70 millimeter yep 11 miles of film yeah and just think of like the production in the in how much just manufacturing and getting kodak to create that film was mm-hmm. alone and yeah. he only did that because he is so like uh He's just do it in camera. He's just an in-camera guy that, like, yeah, converting it wasn't even a question. He's like, no, we're going to shoot the black and white scenes on black and white. And that's what I'm talking about. You just need to have, like, that crazy, crazy talented director who can foresee these things and know exactly what he wants and how the best way is to portray it, you know? Right. And, like, you talking about that obviously springs to my mind of Kubrick. And, uh, I mean, the most obvious comparison is Kubrick and his – uh, like his NASA made lens for Barry Lyndon. Yeah. So we could shoot Barry Lyndon and get, and use it with, you know, make it with, I mean, there was other light sources, but mainly, you know, he made it with a lot of candlelight and you just couldn't, the, he didn't have the, the lens technology, the, the lens technology just didn't exist at that time. Like you just could not pull enough light from even these multi wick candles and all this stuff. He just couldn't pull enough light. So he got the specially made lens and it was able to pull enough light so he could film all these super dark scenes and get these amazing shots with candlelight and in the dark, you know, it's yeah. one of the most beautiful looking movies ever made, but it, it springs to mind. It's like Kubrick. And that was like mid mid career Kubrick 76 or whatever. So, I mean, he was like, he was Kubrick Kubrick. He'd already made, you know, he'd already he made 2001. Kubrick, yeah, he already made 2001. He'd already made uh, Clockwork Orange, um, all of his, you know, black and white stuff uh, that made him rise to fame. You know, he was, uh, he'd strange love. So, like, he had, like, he was, like, one, probably at that point, maybe the most powerful director in, well, he didn't work in Hollywood. He worked in uh, Great Britain. But um, in the industry. he was, like, the most, yeah. yeah, the most powerful director. And it's, like, pretty much Nolan. Like, Nolan is pretty much the most powerful director I would say working right now, like pretty much whatever he wants to do. And, you know, until they had their falling out, uh, with tenant and that whole theater and streaming fiasco that happened there, he pretty much would, you know, could just go to Warner brothers and say, Hey, give me X amount of money. I want to do this. And they'd say, okay, cool. Like, you know, he, he pretty as close to a blank check, true blank check and do whatever you want as possible is what he had. And then of course went went to universal and pretty much got the same, like who's getting a hundred million dollars to make a three hour biopic, you know? 
uh, without without <laughs> questions and and still and you know nobody's nobody's getting that kind of and to do it how exactly how you want to do it with like you know um the cast that you want to do it the cast you like, want to do is, with and yeah so exactly. one of the there's so many there's so many great like behind the scenes uh videos that you can watch and that, where they talk about the film and stuff there's one scene though um i think it was i forget who who was talking about it but uh anyways matt damon had promised his wife that he was taking a break from acting and he was and he said the only exception to this deal that him and his wife had was if christopher nolan called him <laughs> wait but matt damon, know what happened i wonder when this act when this acting break started because damon was literally an heir this spring let me look it up that's curious I mean, I'm not doubting what you, you know, but I'm just, it's interesting because, you know, I don't know when Air was filmed. All right. So, of course, this is, uh, so yeah, he, this is a van, uh, no, a variety article, but it says, um, while avoiding marital specifics, Damon said that he told his wife he would take an acting break on only one condition. If Christopher Nolan called, the break could go on hold. His wife agreed to the terms. And then he got the call for Oppenheimer. Um. Yeah. So this is this is a quote from Damon. Uh, I don't. I think from an another interview because that's how it works, right? Uh. So Damon said, "This is going to sound made up, but it's actually true. I had, I had, I had not to get too personal. Negotiated extensively with my wife that I was taking time off. I had been in Interstellar, and then Chris put me in. For, uh. And then Chris put me on ice for a couple of movies, so I wasn't in the rotation." But I, but I actually negotiated in couples therapy. This is a true story. He says, <laughs> uh, that one caveat to me taking time off was, uh, if Christopher Nolan car- called, this is without knowing whether or not he was working on anything because, uh, he never tells you, he just calls you out of the blue. And so it was a moment in my, er, and so it was a moment in my household, but yeah, I don't, yeah, and I don't crazy. doubt maybe like, maybe it's not like I'm taking an acting break for five years. It's like, well, I'm taking the next I'll three months off or six for, months, yeah. I'm not going to do anything. And then Nolan called and he's like, well, never mind." Uh, which thank God, because great performance by him, dude. So um, good. I don't think uh, like, yeah, it was, that was so good. Such, a uh, but, and that, uh, who else or somebody else, maybe it was Downey. It was like, so down, so ready to, you know, be in a Nolan movie and oh, like dude. really wanted yeah. to do it. And you know, Robert, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is Nolan's like biggest hype man, dude. You you got to get yourself a friend like like Robert Downey Jr. He said this is this is a quote that he said about the movie. I wrote it down in my notes here. Um, uh, everything Chris everything Chris Nolan has done has been a prelude to this. But mm-hmm. dude, him him promoting. First of all, there's a bunch of videos where him and Nolan are promoting this, you know, just like doing yeah. the dumb YouTube things like finishing the Internet or the Internet's biggest ask questions or whatever. But like, dude, he's he's him and Nolan are homeboys. He's a big Nolan fan, like the the biggest Nolan fan. It seems like. Yeah. No, he was so he was like so happy to do this and like wanted to do this, have this part, wanted to be in this movie so bad. And I mean, it's like what a performance. And he said he's like, it's the best movie I've ever been in. Yeah. Um, And yeah. It's uh, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, agreed. Uh, Overall well, idea on this movie is pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Do you want me to do a summary, or should we skip that today? 
I mean, we're 20 minutes in. If, if uh, you're still listening, you probably understand the summary of the movie by understand. now. So, yeah, <laughs> we're good. Um, so, I mean, where do you want to, do you want to keep talking about performances? Where do you want to trail off? I mean, we, I mean, we can, you know, going off of, uh, one, one another thing that I really liked in, in, in a lot of these interviews and stuff is the ideas of these, you had talked about it briefly, but there were all these famous, the, these were rock star scientists of the time, you know, of the 20th century. These were like the best, brightest minds. And, uh, and what's cool is that that is also carried through and, and kind of given a, um, relevant, uh, twist because we see all these big name actors as these scientists, you know, like rockstar performances, even if it's here or there, like, uh, you know, like Josh Pat, like it's, it's, it's I think yeah. what it, I like, I think what it does is relates these big names, um, these big name actors to like how big these scientists were in their time. I think yeah. it was a good parallel. Yeah. Like, yeah, because you got like Matthew Modine showing up for like <laughs> two scenes. He's like in the movie for like 30 seconds, but like yeah. Matthew Modine, he's a good actor, great actor, you know? And like Benny softy. Um, I mean, he's, he's one of the more focused on, I guess you could say more focused on side characters he plays teller. Um, and, but you know he's he's a fantastic actor, and he come you know he's the creator of the hydrogen bomb. Yeah, and all these yeah, it's like it is the it's like the dream, especially if you know anything about you know the scientists or you know science at that time or have read any books on it or what articles or whatever. You like know how big these guys are, like Fermi and Teller, and you know all these guys were at the same spot at the same time. And it was, it was literally like the dream team. It's like insane to think about like how smart, how all these smart people were all together and all knew each other. And And yeah, we're all in the same, we're all Um, in the same circle. Like exactly. It's, it's wild, man. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, I've off, you know, some, if, if somebody doesn't normally watch sports or whatever, and you're watching a football game and then it gets to the end and, you know, they all get together and shake hands and hug and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, they'll somebody that doesn't normally watch be like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I wonder how they all know each other or like, I wonder how many are friends with each other. And but it's just like that. It's like it's such a small community of people mm-hmm. that are that good at what they do. Like, you you know, everybody, you yeah. know, there's nobody. It's like there's how, however many of uh, theoretical physicists at that level in the entire world in the thirties or forties. And like, he knows, you know, knew Heisenberg, he knew Niels Bohr, he knew, you know, all these people, especially in America, all these people. And, um, it's just like, yeah, when the community is that small, like all the all-stars know each other and they're all friends and they all, you know, have coffee at each other's houses. And it's just like crazy to think about. And like you said, I think it is having all these people come in for 30 seconds or a minute or five minutes or whatever. It kind of shows, kind of puts the emphasis on that of like how big all these people were that yeah. he's getting these big actors or these big names to come in for those, you know, couple minutes because he's like, yeah, that's how big this, you know, that's how big Enrico Fermi was, or that's how big Niels Bohr was, or that's how big Heisenberg was or whatever that they come into the movie for two seconds. And it's a big actor. He's like, yeah, because these people were, you know, big. It's time. not, yeah. It's not like, it's a small piece of the Oppenheimer story, but it's not a small piece of the of the 
era world so story. Yeah, right exactly. so i think i think that like that idea of placing significance with significance to relate that or to parallel that to the audience was really smart but i, I yeah like i love the way like you just described it too it's like boom yeah that's you, you get two seconds of it but yeah he's a great actor or what you know what i mean like that idea of just mm-hmm. like holy cow did he just make a like was this his uh stan lee like moment and and you know what i mean it's just like yeah um and i think i like i think david krumholtz like i think he might have been my favorite i think he was great as robbie um and but i think downey i think downey will get a if he doesn't he will definitely get a sporting actor nomination but i think it's a good it's a high probability that he'll win he has to, I think. I mean, I, I don't. I can't imagine. What's, I think this like, what's he got? Picture. What's he got? Ryan Gosling. <laughs> like, I who who I who also should probably be nominated. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's I like think. the yeah. I we've both we've done the yeah. It's a great performance. Uh, he that's a, that's a movie for another episode probably next week, but or next episode. Yeah. Um, but dude, I mean, like this cast, dude. I can't get over. Uh, Killian Murphy is he's like I, I, mean, I had to look so up good. his age dude I had so to look good. up his age whenever I got home he's almost 50 dude yeah and they made him look 19 and 70 all in one film dude it and was th- wild I'm glad they didn't and of course for the older age they put you know he was in makeup and stuff yeah 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 for but sure but for like the young they just gave him you know they gave him a different haircut and um, you know, makeup, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, not. It wasn't like anything crazy. They're just like, yeah, we're giving you a twenty-two-year-old haircut from nineteen, whatever, yeah. twenty-six, and you're gonna look like a nineteen-year-old. And he, it's like, and it I works. Mean, it, sure, he's a little old, but I mean, he looks. It's convincing to me. He, it's convincing enough that it wasn't. It's not. It doesn't take you out of it. Yeah, it doesn't take you out of it. Like you, you know what I mean. But like, I was you amazed to, whenever I got like home because. You know, I and I didn't know, you know, talking about how small of a circle was, I didn't know how many like how tight him and uh, Nolan were. But oh, yeah, like, he's in he was, like every. Yeah, he was movie. in. Yeah. Dunkirk. I mean, obviously, he's, Dunkirk like comes to mind recently and uh, Inception. I like once I looked up. Oh, yeah, he was in Inception. I was like, yeah, that's right. You know, but like, yeah, you always Batman forget about begins. his part because he's the. Yeah, he's like the I guess he's the mark. He's the he's the one they're trying to dupe. Right. Uh three layers deep <laughs> but you yeah know, but yeah dunkirk batman begins inception and then it, it's he was i i don't think i don't think there was a better choice for murphy as no. oppenheimer i i can't i can't think of and this is coming from like a history buff so whenever i watch biopics i really want the i, I want it to feel like realistic i guess or i want i want the actors to look like who they were are portraying you know what i mean and i don't i don't think it could have been done any better than murphy did it no and it and it is it always amazes me like just in general like biopics if they can find somebody that looks like them or can act like them you know what i mean it's like yeah that's that's crazy that this actor looks a lot like or this famous actor looks a lot like you know this other famous person dude let's but, talk about an englishman uh like an englishman <laughs> an englishman <laughs> talking like uh oppenheimer who already has um like an accent yeah but a unique 
uh, way of enunciating, I guess. Yeah, he, and, he has a unique and a unique intonation in his voice. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, to almost replicate that to a T, uh, to a T, I'll say, is astounding. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like if you hear old clips of uh, Oppenheimer talking, like Murphy's yeah. pretty not good. Yeah. Uh, and but like like I was saying, not only for like to have a famous actor to be able to act like that and look like them, but to already be like a Nolan player. Like he's one of Nolan's players that is in a bunch of his, you know, it's one of his guys. Nolan already and, had, yeah, he was already in Nolan's deck, you know, it's kind of, yeah, which is kind of wild. Exactly. And it's like to have him already in your, you know, in your group and being like, this guy's, he's perfect. And I mean, like and I already Downey, have that rapport too. You know what I mean? I think that's what like Nolan, yeah. Nolan's rapport and relationship with all of, you know, Robert Downing Jr., uh, Merv, like every everyone, I feel like is that's what has brought it, and I think that's, I think that's what Robert Downing Jr. meant when he said everything Robert or everything he's done it was a prelude to this. I don't think he just meant you know like his movies. I think he definitely meant like this is we're we're seeing the 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 pinnacle of what Nolan's capable of now that he's been in the industry. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing why Christopher Nolan's Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Yeah, and and like not only again, he has a, I should say again he had, a, we... <laughs> he had a rapport with Nolan or with Murphy, but like also like uh, most I'm trying to think, um, I would I guess a lot to most of these actors haven't been in a Nolan movie before, right? But everybody's like, you know, like I said, they're all there's a bunch of people that are in this for a minute, you know, and. But they're like, hell yeah, I'll be in a Nolan movie. Like, you know, it's like he just has it's the same thing was, you know, with with Kubrick at the you know, in his last few films, like it's Kubrick, of course. You know, it's yeah. like Tom Cruise saying in Eyes Wide Shut, he's like, of course, I'm going to do this movie with Kubrick because like it's Kubrick. I want to be in a Kubrick movie. And yeah. it doesn't matter if it takes 18 months and is like hell on my marriage. Um <laughs> It's 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 Kubrick. I have to learn from the learn at the you know at the feet of the great one. And it's kind of the same thing here. It seems like everybody's like, yeah, it's Nolan. Like, yeah, he's the guy. He's the man. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I met, we were talking about it earlier, and then I got kind of distracted because we just kind of jumped into it. But I wanted to go over uh, my experience seeing this. Uh, of course, I mean we've talked about it enough. I love it. I think it's a masterpiece but i did do the uh barbenheimer double feature and i saw this first and then i did you know barbie after so i saw this at i think it was about 6 30 or so maybe quarter to seven was the start of this one and then barbie because this is friggin' three hours long <laughs> uh barbie started at 10 30 so i didn't get i wasn't out of the theater till like one um but I saw I did I did not see this in IMAX opening because I was like the closest IMAX theater is like over two hours away, so I was like, well, if I see both of them on a Friday night, it would be four hour round trip drive plus at least at minimum you're gonna be in the theater five and a half hours. You know, it was like That's it wasn't gonna time day. out right. That's uh, such a day. And I was like, I would have to take a day off of work. So I was like, <laughs> I if I do this, if I I'll just like see it in DCP. You know, the digital and see it in digital and I'll just knock it out and then I'll go to IMAX later, which I think is I'm going to see it again tomorrow and then I might see it in IMAX next week. But 
Um, but anyway, so I did see him back to back. I think, I think maybe next time, well, next time, if I were to do it again, it was cool to see it on opening night, like, you know, on the Friday, you know, yeah. at oh, night, I bet. Yeah. it was, it was cool. And like everybody you walk in and I mean, it was the most packed I've seen the theater since, I guess since Endgame, just because there was like lines for that. But I mean, it was like, that's how a theater should look on Friday night. It was like busy. The line, you know, the ticket line yeah. was all the way that the concession lines were full. It was like, it was so good to th- see as a person who goes to the theater a lot. It's like, yeah, movies are back, baby. Um, it's, but you know, we kind of like all the different it dying groups. out. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, we kind of talked about it dying out a little bit, uh, like a couple years ago, especially, especially, um, right after COVID. I kind of, yeah, yeah. We, when they were releasing movies on, you know, Apple TV and Hulu and like, I was like, man, I think we're seeing the death of theaters straight up. Mm-hmm. I think you were a little bit more optimistic about it. Um, because you're a cinephile. So we're like, I was I, just hoping I knew they'd survive, but I didn't know how much they'd survive. If you know what I mean? Like yeah. I knew there'd always be theaters and there'd always be, or may, but there'd probably be less theaters. I didn't know how many would close. And if I didn't they know keep having movies what would happen out, like, to the summer, budgets. Dude. Yeah. Like what would happen to the budgets if everything goes to streaming? Like if you're, you're yeah. not going to, there's only so many Irishmen's. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so many Irishmen's you can give $220 million for, for Netflix. Does, yeah. You know, I mean that got a, technically that got a theatrical release, but not much one. It was pretty much a Netflix movie and you're just not going to, you're not going to get these kind of movies that get financed all the time. You're going to get the, you know, flaming hots, you know, yeah. movies for whatever, five, 10 million. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. Don't become that flaming hot like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's like your stereotypical streaming movie. That's very much a streaming movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and that's so, I, the, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I keep cutting you off. No, I was just going to say like, <laughs> I'm talking about budgets, but like, I think this is bring this was made for a, about a million dollars. And I think that's I mean that's a lot of money, but it's bringing it more into the mid-budget area of like we need more films that are made for 20, 30, 40 million dollars that go into theaters, can make money and like bring people into theaters for stuff other than, you know, Marvel movies. Yeah. Because that's been the draw for the past you know, 15 years. And I think Barbenheimer was maybe the beginning of the end for them. Yeah. And we saw that like the past six months of the year, like, you know, uh, not, I guess not just Marvel, but Marvel and like franchise sequels and stuff like that. Like, uh, Ant-Man and the Watts quantum mania that bombed fast X had a rough showing Indiana Jones five pretty much bombed. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible did way under expectations. Um, I didn't see and that I think movie, it's but like, I haven't heard great things. I've heard it's not bad. Um, I've I, From what I've seen, people really liked it, but it kind of just got buried by Barbenheimer, and mm. which I just don't know what they were thinking of releasing that the week before Barbenheimer. Like, it was like, it was just the worst calculation or the worst coincidence or whatever. Like, should have released it two weeks earlier um, or three weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, uh, I'm I feel like I'm missing something. Something else bombed this spring. But anyway, I'm thinking Ant Man and the Wasp, Fast X, uh, Indiana Jones, stuff like that. That's like the superhero or franchise. They're kind of like people are getting sick of it. People are getting sick of these two hundred fifty million dollar blockbusters. That's all spectacle. You know, they want and just something and just all CGI different. and like and and yeah, all spectacle. Like you said, just yeah, yeah, exactly. So like. Oh, I saw the the Guardians. I I did see the Guardians movie. That was pretty good. But that one didn't fail. That one did did pretty good financially, if I remember right. But so many of the Marvel movies, especially in the last three or four years um, since Endgame, are just like, I mean, they look bad. The third act just transcends or uh, ends up as, uh, you know, just kind of like CGI, gray CGI mush that it, all looks the same. Like the the third act of every Marvel movie in the past four years looks the same. You know what yeah. I mean? It's this kind of weightless action that doesn't have any, you know, real bearing that you don't, you know, there's no actual heft to it. And it's, you're just seeing um, computer art compared to real art from people, you know? Right. I, th- and I think that's like, like sure, the biggest difference like, there. And like, not to say like, you know, CGI artists are, you know, they're artists. So like, I don't want to cool. like, but give them sh- short shrift, but like very notoriously, the CGI uh, studios have been kind of worked <laughs> too too long hours and too short a time, and you know there haven't been enough uh, been understaffed and have been trying to just mar- just Marvel's just trying to crank out way too much in too short amount of time, so it ends up looking like crap, and I mean. Like I said, not to discount people who work in, you know, CGI or do that because, you know, CGI can be great. Well, and I think that's helped I think the film industry too. Like we, we yeah, exactly. We shouldn't overlook it's just too the much benefits of CGI. Um it's definitely needed and used. It, it's almost like classifying as a photographer, I, I always hate like when people classify, oh, that's photoshopped. It's or like, yeah, you, yeah, or oh, did you put it through Photoshop? <laughs> it's like, well, Photoshop's just a system. It's like CGI is just a, a a way of doing something, you know. It's but it's the use in in the it, it's it's all art. So it's just like the use and time that you let people put into it, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's like no one puts more time into other things than worrying about that. Like it's no one is also they're both doing art, but no one decides to put his focus into making more organic art, I guess with actors and, and you know what I mean? Like ha- making it all practical as much as possible. Yeah. And it's, and it's not, um, which I mean, he was, he was literally going off, off of a book. Uh, I guess we haven't mentioned that. Based so, on the book yeah. Prometheus. Yeah. Well, we did um, say that we did say that kind of in the summary. Did we? Oh, that's what, that's true. Um, but yeah, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's very much like every, I think people are sick of seeing the cookie cutter, you know. They're very much like the the exact same movie, yeah. not only like CGI wise and looks wise, but just like structure wise. Yeah. You know, it's it's just kind of like what's what's the point of me going uh, three times a year to see the same movie, same exact movie, just told you know with different characters inserted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like you need you need some kind of, and I think that's what happened in the past year or a couple you know people wanted something different and i think finally you saw that kind of shift and you see how excited people got of something different and something to kind of 
work itself up organically of, you know, this Barbenheimer thing. Sure. There was, you know, a lot of marketing done by Warner brothers for Barbie and, you know, especially the Barbie campaign. Um, they really pushed, but, um, but it was very much like an organic marketing thing of like, people were just kind of like people wanted Barbenheimer to to just kind of happened. Yeah. Yeah. And like Barbenheimer just kind of happened of like, haha, this is, you know, this is funny. And, uh, it's 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 it kind of shows like yeah people were like people wanted something different and then they were like then they actually showed up it wasn't like yeah they you know, said they funny. wanted it like, and they actually showed up like Morbius like that was a meme but like nobody saw the movie you know it was just like haha Morbius um it made one more billion dollars but then like you know it actually made nothing because nobody actually cared beyond the meme right. but like this was a meme that people actually showed up for like I said when I went opening night. It was packed. There were just like so many groups of women all in their matching pink outfits for Barbie. And um, it was just like, it was just so much fun to see like what the theatrical experience should be like. You know, people used to get excited for stuff like this. And that wasn't just, you know, your franchise, uh, franchise movies. This is, of course, you know, Barbie's based on IP, sure. But the fact that, you had this pairing of a franchise or of a, you know, uh, an IP of a ch- children's toy and then a three hour biopic of the guy who made the <laughs> the first atomic bomb. That's just not that's not a normal like thing that you, like if you said that to anybody 10 years ago, they'd be like, I don't get it. You know, why would what <laughs> why was this such a big deal? And it's just kind of amazing to have that happen organically, but it like shows that people like were ready for something different yeah. and something new. You yeah. Know? Uh, and that's, I think that's really good for the theatrical experience because I think that kind of pushes Hollywood. Hopefully they take the right lessons from this and not what it sounds like Mattel is doing and going to make had they have like, you know, 40 films in the hopper for hungry, hungry hippos. And, you know, uh, I can't even remember. Polly Pocket, I guess, is one. And it's like, I don't know if you got why this movie did so well. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if Hollywood takes the right lessons. But um, well, I, I do think, think it's a good sign for theaters. Yeah, and, and to go to go on that too, um, I kind of, like I said, I went down some, I went deep, dude, on this. But I, I thought this, and I don't, I highlighted a comment here that I was going to read. Uh, all right, here we go. Yeah, like I, I was saying, like I went, I went deep on this, and I'm gonna on the IMAX Reddit subreddit. Um, it was shared how. So I was curious, and and I started looking this up because it's uh, all shot on 70 millimeter IMAX. How does it get reproduced, especially, you know, like not the digital, but like how do they restrike the the film, right? Right, restrike the film, and, and how and how much does that cost, and how does that like how many how many IMAX theaters are actually showing seventy millimeter IMAX? Mm-hmm. The answer, the answer worldwide, domestic and international is thirty. Thirty, yeah, and there's nineteen in the U.S. Right, right, right. right. something like that, yeah. <clears throat> and but I mean, so and I think a lot of people. So whenever I was talking about this movie with people. Um, like at work and stuff, they were like, well, there's an IMAX theater in Harrisburg or there's an IMAX theater in Lancaster. And those are both, those are true, but it's not 70, it's not 70 mil. Like it's not a true IMAX 70 millimeter. Yeah. It's not film. Yeah. 
It's not 70 millimeter film. Right. You're not you're, seeing the film. You you might, yeah, like, and it's, you see this a lot in, like, museums and stuff, too, that they have IMAX. And it's like, yeah, they have IMAX, but it's not the same as, as like, seeing this in 70 millimeter IMAX, right? right. So they also have, right. so they, they struck 30 for 70 millimeter IMAX. They struck, this is, and this kind of, from what I read through these comments, kind of speaks to, like, the resounding... I guess embrace of of community around theaters now. Seventy millimeter five perf. Um, it, it means uh, it's it's like seventy millimeter film, but there's there's different perforations on each side of the film depending on how it's viewed and the way it's projected. And so mm-hmm. you might get seventy millimeter five perf. It would take five perforations off the left and the right side of the film. Okay. Um, where other films, anyways. So one hundred and thirteen of those were struck. And uh, or made, and then thirty-five millimeter, uh, about eighty. So, which is kind of interesting because like thirty-five millimeter would be where you actually go and see. They they probably only project, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's they're probably not digitized. Digitized. Oh, I can't even speak. Oh my gosh, digitized. Digitized. Mm-hmm. But um, I just thought that was really interesting, and a lot of comments are saying like the one hundred and thirteen numbers like really high, and it's like a resounding like. And these are like, this was all yeah, from. Uh, the, yeah, what was the last movie they got? One hundred and thirteen, you know. So of a yeah, and it, I mean, made. you if you go through the comments, uh, they they talked about Tenet, um, too. Um, yeah. The Dark Knight Rises only had uh, this is all according to Reddit commenters, but I will say I feel like the deeper you go into Reddit, sometimes depending on what subreddit you go to, it's probably the most reliable information you could find. Like. <laughs> like I mean, you know what I mean. Like this is from uh, like a film handler's like re- subreddit, right? Like who's yeah, you a get into moderator? The subs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, take it for what it is. But this says the Dark Knight. Um, oh man, I'm, I keep losing these comments, dude. Where is it? I think Dark Knight Rises only had 102 IMAX film prints made. Okay. Uh. I guess that was the peak of like IMAX. It well, but here's the here's the interesting part. Uh, this person said, "Dark the Dark Knight had quite more, quite a few more prints made than Dark Knight Rises." Really? And then they they said it was the absolute peak of IMAX fifteen seventy. So what I was saying before, whether they also have five perf or whatever, um, mm-hmm. the fifteen seventy is like that's they they call it like IMAX fat or whatever. Like F eight, like you know, it's like the entirety of it. It's fifteen seventy is like the entire, for what it is. You're seeing the entire thing, but that was before mass digital conversions happened, I guess. So Interstellar, mm. on the other hand, only had forty one prints. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was interesting, especially as I like went down the subreddit, and it kind of spoke to the same thing that you were talking about too, um, with how. It's it's interesting. This is kind of like looking at a different side of the stats, and it's weird when it's un, a number that's like two hundred, right? We're only dealing with like two hundred of these around the world, and then you're thinking, well, all the other ones are just are just digital. But it, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's hard for people in this generation, probably our age, I guess, or thirty five millimeter, or thirty, yeah, or thirty five. Um, but our age or younger, or younger, like I feel like it's hard. That's a hard concept to kind of wrap your mind around. Like Mm -hmm. that you're not, you know, like Oppenheimer was amazing. Right. But we didn't really get to experience it. How 
it would fully be enjoyed, which is kind of right. even crazy. And like nobody, yeah, nobody, very few people had the chance to just because like you said, there's in the whole U S there's 19 and then there's only 30 in the whole world that can see it in the optimal viewing. And then of course, in each of those, you only got, I don't know, a couple dozen seats maybe that are like good. Right. You know, where it's like, yeah, no one would sit here to watch. You know what I mean? Right. Very, there's not, there's only a few people that are going to be able to sit two thirds of the way back in the center. And <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I it's mean, like very few people are getting the full experience of this movie. And, and, and yet still hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And, and I think that just is like kind of insane to think about because it's like, I thought this was like the masterpiece. It was just, it was just a, a masterpiece. And then to think, like, I didn't even get to see it, like, for real, you know? Yeah. Like, I can't even yeah. imagine watching it in 70 millimeter. I, you know, I want to. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it'd be it'd be nice if, we, if there was a closer theater and there was more than three showings a day because it's yeah. three hours long. So they're, they just, you know, physically or, you know, they just can't fit that many showings in. Um, but what are you going to do? Yep. It, it sometimes you know it'd be nice to live in LA or New York, um, but for those for these few opportunities where it'd be nice to live right by one of those theaters, and uh, but then of course then you have to pay uh, a lot for rent, so you know there's trade offs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, where's I gonna go? God, we haven't even talked about a fraction of this movie. <laughs> there's in, so much more to. Like there's, hour, yeah, I know. There's so much more to talk about. Um. Uh, so I, I mean, we talked a little, I, I think I remember, I don't know if we've been bouncing off all over the place, I know. but we, t- I think we talked a little bit about the box office of this, but I wanted to talk. So this was projected. So like I said, this, this cost about a hundred million dollars to make. This was projected to open at like 45 to 50. That would have been pretty good, you know? Um, but then this, I, f- this opened at 82 million which was like shocking an astounding number for what, like I said, a three hour biopic. Yeah. Um, it's unheard of, you know, that releases in the middle of summer and also is, I guess technically in any other circumstance would be head to head quote unquote with a summer blockbuster, which is Barbie, which also outperformed its expectations. Yeah. And it made, uh, what? A hundred and, can't remember now 170 170 something maybe opening weekend um but and i think it was projected at one 130 140 one i can't remember yeah i didn't look barbies up but anyway <laughs> like i was saying this this opened i mean it almost opened at double just a little under double the projected opening and it's just it's it's crazy and this is already made at this point this weekend, which is the today's the fifth, um, it's already made two hundred million domestic, four hundred forty million worldwide. Like I said, for a three-hour biopic, it is insane. It's wild. It's crazy it's to think insane. about. Yeah, like, and and here's the thing: I have a hard, you know, I've talked about it before. Like, I whenever I watch movies at home or whatever, I just I I'm distracted easily. I have a hard time just sitting completely still. You know, I like have to move my legs, stretch a little bit, whatever. Dude, I walked into that theater. At twelve thirty, I sat down, and I didn't stand back up for three and a half hours. 
and yeah. and I had it wasn't even I didn't even it wasn't even a big deal. Didn't even I didn't even care. <laughs> yeah, like it was, no, it was. I was just like, yeah, yeah that was where I do it a hundred times again. You know? No, because it was it was riveting. Yeah. Like the whole time, so and I think that's what like that's I think that's the most impressive part about this movie. I mean, you can talk about all kinds of stuff, yeah. but the fact that this is so riveting for three hours. And like I said, it's a historical drama, you know? Yep. And that most people would never like, I I feel like the people who want to see a, like who love biopics probably, you know what I mean? Like wouldn't necessarily trend to the amount of people that have watched this. (laughs) If that no, makes exactly. Like, it's, yeah, they've taken no. a concept that most people probably would overlook, and uh, everyone has just been so. Even if you're not into history, you want to see it. It's crazy, right? And it's like, and of course, that a large part of that is Nolan. You know, just as if this wasn't made by Nolan, you know, of course it wouldn't open to what it opened at. Of course, but that's part of the deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um. Because he's been able to build up that good, like even in, you know, he's, you know, very obviously had a kind of, especially in the late aughts, early teens, like had a one for me, one for them, you know, he'd make, he made, uh, the dark Knight. boom, that's one for them. Now I can make my passion project, which is inception, which also did bonkers money. Yeah. And then now one for them, dark Knight rises, not as great or not as good even, but still made bonkers money. Made so much money. Yeah. And then, all right, now it's time for, you know, one for me again. Made Interstellar. And that's, that. like, whatever, it's like, you know, he's he's built up that cachet of, like, even the one for him's are still going to make money. So, it like, at this point, it's like, yeah, well, the one for him is a three-hour, you know, historical drama slash biopic, and it's still going to make money. Whatever he does is going to make money, and it's going to be, well... For the most part, I think all of his movies, besides maybe The Dark Knight Rises, are pretty great. <laughs> um, well, following, but I don't even know if we count that. But, <laughs> um, but was where does I even go with that? Um, the opening. Oh yeah, I was gonna say because like Elvis opened last year and it made decent money. I think it made it made like one fifty domestic. I didn't, but, but like that's see, I'm a history but guy, was, but I I wasn't even like I want. But it was see Elvis. It's, yeah, it, it's that's what I'm saying. But it d- still didn't appeal. Yeah, and like, but Elvis has way more cultural cachet, I guess you could say, in the in 2020, which that was 2022 or 2023, than Oppenheimer. Yeah, you know, to the normal person, like you ask the normal, like a normal person. Like, hey, what are your thoughts about, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer? And it's like, I don't really, you know. Yeah. I haven't really thought about him much. But you say, like, Elvis, like, everybody knows Elvis, yeah. you know. So, well, and I don't think most people but, understood or even knew. If you were like, can you tell me what Oppenheimer did? Yeah. They, they would probably guess, be like, uh, maybe yeah. the, the bomb, he created the bomb, but, like, they wouldn't have, they probably wouldn't know anything about the Manhattan Project. And uh, I doubt they would know about, like, Los Alamos or, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, I guess it depends. Probably depends on age. Yeah, um, that's true. The older, I know, mean, like, like it was older more people relevant in more relevant. They the grew 70s, up during 80s. the Cold War. Yeah, when exactly. he died too. Like I feel like it was probably more. You know what I mean? Like one of those things that reeducates the. Like I feel like there's there's certain moments that like reeducate people about who people are. It's like when they die, people seem to learn more about them, or at least 
right under, they hear more about them and, and it's like you know when a movie comes out about it it's like the same thing right um yeah exactly like yeah i'm sure wikipedia or google searches for oppenheimer oh not you know not the movie but just yeah. like to learn about the guy skyrocketed in the past month or you know grogu searches about uh barbie Strauss or tell or yeah, barbie or mattel <laughs> or you know los alamos yeah. or you know harry truman or whatever just like all these i'm sure these all these google searches skyrocketed but like oh i want to learn more about that which is good that's great um but but yeah it's just, i just wanted to go back to the box office thing like that's you know yeah it's it's gonna make a boatload of money. Oh, it's gonna 100%, have percent. Yeah, it's gonna have legs because just like you and me, like lots of people are gonna, use, which is what pushes like movies to that extra level. Yeah, way more than they should have made. Like it's when people go back two, three times, you know. Yeah, and that's how you get that like multiplier and those legs that make it last for you know rather than a couple weeks, a couple months. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is, uh, and especially like the IMAX, like I said, the 70 millimeter screens are all sold out. Yeah. Like, every screening, every seat is sold out for like the next, you know, until it stops playing. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's crazy, but good for theaters. Uh, good for theaters. Yeah. Dude, this, so I looked it up while we were, while you were just talking. So from, uh, in the last five years since 2018, if you look at the interest over time on, on Google, it's kind of interesting cause it's just flatline flat line and then 2022 little rise little rise that would have been it so how it works is uh it goes by the height of the searches which would be a hundred percent right and that was obviously july 100 percent. right 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 um and or june or you know right around then uh it shot up to 100 percent. so based on that it goes back and it's like based on this being the 100 searches we base a percentage on that back so it was like it jumped up to like a two on a scale if you're thinking of this from like a scale one to 100 it was a two right around 2022 which probably would have been when american prometheus came out or was published when what what year uh no american prometheus came out in 2005 was it 2005 oh dang yeah or six one of those two okay then yeah, there was a little jump there, and then dude, it really, it really went on the rise. It's kind of crazy to just look at. But yeah. anyways, yeah, it's it's interesting to look at that over the last like five years and just see how flatlined it was, and then it was just bonkers. Um, so I want, I mean, we haven't talked at all about like cinematography or anything. Um, this was shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema, um, who's kind of been Nolan's guy the past oh i don't know four or five movies yeah i I believe he shot interstellar um he shot tenet uh let me look it up for sure um yeah interstellar tenet dunkirk yeah he's kind of been kind of been his dude but this movie i mean this movie looks great i mean in the shot composition every shot was amazing throughout this entire movie and yeah like not only like just looks good but like like i said like the shot composition how everything works together in the frame you know um uh, i mean it's 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 shot extremely well which is obviously a collaboration with nolan yeah. and uh hoitama but uh looks it just looks so good yeah um i guess 
like I said, we haven't we haven't even <laughs> Dude, so we much. haven't dug into any of like the you know thematic elements. Like I, I, I guess the the biggest that we should at least cover the biggest thematic element is like you know the which I talked about this when I did my little review on Letterbox was you know the the duality. I mean, speaking of Matthew Modine, the duality of man. Oppenheimer kind of encompasses both sides of humanity in himself. And then we see it, you know, portrayed in the other characters as well and how that kind of um, plays out in history and everything. But like the, both how humanity can be just this great force, this amazing thing that can do this, this, you know, almost unbelievable accomplishment. You know, the, this incredible mind that, you know, you can't even comprehend how smart this guy was. Not only him, but everybody who was working there and like how these people work together and built something like this. But then you see like, you know, the whole second half of the movie or the, you know, after the Trinity test is like kind of reckoning with like, yeah, this was great. It was an amazing accomplishment, but like, it's also terrible, Yeah, you know? And how do you, um, you know, how do these two things, how can you reconcile those yeah. two things together? Um, da, da, da. oh, and I guess, I mean, it, it also like, uh, to bring up Strauss again or Strauss, however he prefers to be <laughs> called. Um, I think it was Strauss. Um, but it was, it's kind of, um, another thematic part of this movie is like, <laughs> speaking about the great minds, like you see these great minds working, but once these great minds are done to do whatever they're doing, whether it's to build the atom bomb or the atomic bomb right. or the hydrogen bomb or whatever, yeah, yeah. then you kind of put, then it's left in the hands of, I guess you could say, uh, mediocre minds, um, you know, political minds. And it's like, once, once the cat's out of the bag, you aren't able to control who uses your, um, invention no. or your thoughts or your discoveries once it's out it's out dude like it's you're on the it's once you put it on the tracks it's just going and you can't exactly. stop it exactly and it's like and then it's like but like i know that's another thing it touches on is like this is like one of the smartest dudes that was living and like even he doesn't know how he he doesn't know the answers yeah. to these questions like what was the right thing to do should i have done that should i have not done that how should the atomic age proceed? Right. You know, and that's what him and all these smart people were trying to figure out on the atomic energy commission and all this stuff was, you know, should we proceed with the hydrogen bomb or the atomic bomb? Yeah. How many bombs should we make? And like, should we share our research with the Russians who should know and, about the bombs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, you can, uh, you know, you can think about all this stuff and, theoretics and all this stuff like that and like build it up in your mind and do all these amazing things but like nobody is smart enough to you know i guess foresee the future or be able to know exactly how things will turn out to understand the the outcome moral yeah or the correct there's no there's no intelligence for moral implications because they're morals they're you know every the world is gray and there's no you know, uh, which I mean, I guess it depends on the thing, but as a whole, the world is great. There's a lots of stuff that you say that's bad. That's good. But 
a lot of the world is in the gray and it's like, how do you, you know, just because you have an IQ of 250 doesn't mean you know the exact correct moral answer to everything. And it's like, it's that struggle with like, how do you deal with being this genius, but you still, you know, you, (laughs) you don't know how to deal with your own genius and it's, it's ramifications and uh, how it, you know, impacts the world around you. Right. Um, and I think this movie does a really good job of showing that and showing, um, Oppenheimer's, you know, struggle that, especially in the, yeah, duality and like struggle, especially in the latter half of this film. A hundred, I a hundred percent agree with all of that. I think, I think too, what was really interesting, and this is what Nolan has said in interviews kind of struck him about, about this idea was, um, that there was, there was <laughs> a very small possibility. It was, it, it was very small, almost, you know, obviously near zero that once they launched, like once the bomb went, once they hit the button, it would spark a flame that would engulf the entire world. Right. There was, that was, yeah, that was a, chain a reaction. right. It set off a train reaction. Yeah. That was a, that was a genuine possibility near zero, but a genuine possibility that they had thought about. And it is kind of insane that even though it was just that they still went ahead with it and dropped that bomb, knowing that there was, it was near zero, but knowing that there was a possibility that, you know, and I think, I also think it's just crazy. Like, I was thinking of this whenever I was watching it, but I was like, yeah, man, like we did and do like test, like we had bomb testings in just the desert. And to think about how vast it is out there kind of is mind blowing too, that you could just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's been atomic well, bombs that's a whole dropped thing. in and that's America. Ho- Go ahead. Sorry. But yeah, but that's a whole nother thing of like, uh, I mean, it's mentioned when he's in his meeting with uh, Truman. It's like, well, what are, uh, well, what do we do with the, well, you know, with Los Alamos now? Yeah. And Oppenheimer's like, well, we give it back to the, you know, Native Americans. Yeah. And Truman's like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but that was like a big deal. Like, cause they pretty much just like commandeered this land yeah. and said, Hey, scram. And not only that, but like all the, you know, the downwind effects of the, oh, yeah. you know, radiation. And like, you think that like, it's this vast place with nobody, but also like there's people that got like, you know, radiation sickness. And, yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't. I, not, animals not to like, died. Yeah, stuff. for sure, for sure. A lot of, uh, a lot and of. Then I know it, but I'm I know sure what you're terrible talking implications. about. Implications it, for you know the environment too. It's, but like to think about like, I mean, that we've dropped nuclear weapons on American dude, soil. Could you before? imagine? You just like look. Oh, it's nine. It's what year was it? Nineteen forty-five. Well, we dropped it on. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and then we dropped it in forty-five. It's 1945, and what this was at like four in the morning, right? Five in the morning, something like that. You, you, you're a farmer. You wake up early, right? You're getting together, and you just see off in the distance like this massive burst of light. You know what I mean? And in, in, in a time when mass communication was, it's not like they got an alert on their cell phone, like, "Hey, the government's going to be doing some uh, testing." You might see flashes here you know what i'm saying like it's not like a what they would do now if you live yeah, put on your lead vest yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah. Or, or like it's just kind of crazier just like be prepared it was just kind of wild though they were just yeah like the idea that you could do that and it is mind-boggling that i mean if they did that i don't know could you you couldn't view it from where we're at you know what i mean you would probably but like then yeah the repercussions of whatever that would do to the weather i mean they didn't even know what that would do to the weather you know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. Like there were a lot of risks that were just, um, 
yeah ignored and that's what and you know and that and that's like you know one of the most famous scenes well i don't know how famous a scene can be after three weeks but like it was in it was in the trailer but the you know the scene with him and matt damon or leslie groves and you know he's says well the chances of chances of igniting the atmosphere near zero and you know matt damon says near zero he says what do you want from theory alone and of course, Damon says, you know, zero would be nice. And it's, you know, it's funny. But, um, but it's, it is kind of crazy. Like, I remember reading that in a book. I have a book. It's not American Prometheus, but it's a book called The 50s. And there's a bunch of chapters on the nuclear tests and Oppenheimer and, you know, the security hearings and all that stuff. But all that stuff, you know, how it tied together and whatever. Right. But, um, it talked about it talks about that and like how you know when they were you know when they were doing these uh calculations and stuff that that was a real possibility it's like just reading that it's like you know you have to read this sentence over again it's like yeah. like really that's it's like crazy that you yeah. know that was a possibility and then but it's like it's very it's very much um of course you know it's great that that didn't happen but <laughs> yeah. it's very much um metaphorical you know for the end of the movie and i mentioned that you know like it's it's metaphorical in the fact that you know it didn't explode the or it didn't cause a chain reaction and end the world then but ever since that first test we're still living in the experiment the experiment is over the only way the experiment ends is if we blow ourselves up like we're still living in the nuclear experiment and we will be until the end of humanity because until we, until we fail so bad exactly <laughs> because that's the only way it ends like we're gonna succeed until we fail and um we've done a all right job i guess so far we've dropped a couple of them and there were some pretty intense times during the cuban missile crisis and we have dropped you know, the most of them well yeah <laughs> um but uh well i mean humanity has dropped two of them um yes. yeah, yeah. but uh yeah, two of them on people. There've been a bunch of tests. But um but yeah, but like yeah, well, we but two on people was more than any other. Well, I know, but I'm just saying <laughs> both Americans and Russians dropped a bunch during the Cold well, yes, War yeah, just yeah. to test them out. That's that's yeah. what's my point. I, I didn't mean I wasn't talking to I just meant like <laughs> actual use. We have yeah. dropped we we ranked top of Yeah, nobody's in and second. Then, it, no, and then we immediately were like, hey, game's over. You're not allowed to play with them anymore, yeah. all right, guys? We're all, <laughs> exactly. everybody give them to us, or we're going to come and take them, because that's, that's how we roll. <laughs> yeah. Um, but can yeah. you imagine if those but then, that? Like, if, if, it is crazy to think about, too, like, all these amazing minds around the world, and, and like, that they ended up, I mean, there were obviously Russian spies and all that, but, like, for the most part, this entire thing, the Manhattan Project, th- this, I mean, right, history, history uh, creates the, whatever it is, the hero, or heroes write history, you know, but like, that all these inquire, or the greatest minds of their time all ended up on, quote unquote, like the right team, or the good team, you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine if this would have gotten in the hands of like, Hitler, or, you know? Well, and that's what, like, wild. like, they mentioned that in the movie, and that's what yeah. like, pushes them so hard, especially like, because a lot of them were Jewish, you know, a yeah. lot of the scientists were Jewish and they're, you know, and that's what Robbie and yeah. Oppenheimer talk about on the train. And they like, don't come just out and say it, but like they kind of, you know, in Germany when they were what, learning there though. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they talk about, you know, 
you know, their Jewish upbringings in New York and like, which, you know, growing up on the East side and the West, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have this big long spiel about like Hitler's killing all the Jews and, you know, the Holocaust and all this stuff. Yeah. But it's like, it's very much, you know, it's very much noticeable that it's like, Hey, these, these Jewish people want to, you know, and you know, Einstein was part of that research too, that said, Hey, the, the Germans are working on, you know, splitting the atom and they're working on the bomb. Like we need to, we need to start working on this or the, you know, the Nazis could, you know, it could be really bad. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like, you know, a big part of that was like, you know, these Jewish people were like, Hey, we got to do this. And then that's why you get the complication once Germany surrenders, you know, and whatever that was early 45. And then it's like, a lot of them were like, well, uh, there's not the, you know, the, the threat of Nazis. I mean, there's the threat of, you know, um, Japan and like Japan during this period wasn't doing a lot of, you know, doing great stuff, you know, human, like humanitarian wise, but it was like, it wasn't the Nazis and like, they're like, well, it's not the same. And, you know, you had these, that one of the best shots in the movie is when he's like riding the horse and comes across the sign. That's like meeting about, you know, uh, effectively the meeting to stop working on the bomb. Yeah. Um, and he's like riding in like a cowboy and, and then he has that conversation with them, but it's, um, it's, it just adds another wrinkle to it. Like once that drops out, like, because the, the Nazis were such a, you know, existential threat to not only humanity, but to especially the, you know, the Jewish population that really felt it a lot. And then once that, you know, it just added an extra wrinkle once Germany surrendered. It's like, well, how do we deal with this? You yeah. know, and the morality of this. And then of course we see what happens. Um, but, um, what do you think about, there was some talk about like, you know, some people were like, how they didn't like how nothing was shown from on the jet, like the Japanese, you know, you know, when the bombs were dropped and like how it went. Yeah. And I, I think it was done the correct way. I don't think we need to see that. I think I don't think there's any way to do that where it's not making a spectacle of it. Um, well, and and I think you. So like, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this or try to get this idea out of my mind too. I think the way that it, the way that the movie is shot, um, a lot of the immediate like things that happened in, in, in the photos from that and the repercussions of that were largely unknown to, I mean, like they were no, like, but to the Americans, right. Yeah. It took a couple years to get that. It took a little bit to, to under fully understand the impact that those had there. Right. And I think it did a good job of kind of showing the internal battle with him because like, you weren't there when it happened. He wasn't in, you know, no, he didn't see what happened. And, and so you have this idea of what happened and like where the skin's like peeling off when he's in those meetings. And you know what I'm saying? Like those mm. moments, I think give you enough. Um, it's, it's and there's so this... horrible that like, it's almost like if you went into that to do it right, it would, it, you would almost, it couldn't be a biopic. I don't think. No. And it, it, I just don't think, yeah. Like I said, would, I don't think you, you could do it without there, making be, a spectacle. No. No. Um, especially the way Nolan. Yeah, I think it was the correct move. And I think you get that. Like, it's not. 
I think the wrong way to look at it, or I don't think you can look at it as being like, it's not like Nolan saying like, who cares about the Japanese? Very obviously he's not saying right. that. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's done in a way to be like, Hey, this was not great. You can argue about whether it was the correct move or not, and whether it saved more lives, you know, it, like whether the horribleness was worthwhile of, you know, saving both Japanese and American lives, or if that's the case or not. But right. you can say like, yeah, it was a horrible thing that happened. And like, uh, all in one, you know, cause we were, we we're already firebombing all the cities and like they had yeah. that meaning about it. And like, you know, the firebombings were, you know, just as bad as the t- atomic bomb, but it wasn't in the blink of an eye. Like you and, didn't and see think... the vaporization of thousands of people in a half a second and, the uh, you know, radiation poisoning and all that stuff. Um, and it alluded to how terrible it was in his visions of what and, he's created. Yeah, not only the visions, but also, like, um, there's a scene where he's, like, looking through the photographs. And um, he's kind of like, you can just see how it affects him. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's like, oh, man, this is, you know. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine, bad. like, thinking, like, I remember the first time I've seen photos from that. And, like, you're just like how terrible it is you know what i mean because mm-hmm. that's those are huge it's shocking are kids it's shocking it's kids man and um, and uh yeah. it's sad and and i couldn't imagine like the feeling that you would have knowing that the last or i really the most important research of your entire life went to creating what you're looking at now yeah you know i i can't even fathom what that would make somebody feel like and i'm not saying like i don't even want to get into the moral conundrum of was it the, what did he make the right move or not i'm just saying with everything that happened like i i couldn't even imagine that feeling in my gut you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yeah and that's what and it's like but it, and then it also i mean very much it's supposed to come to mind when after uh gene tatlock we haven't even talked about her at all dude but we, there's uh, we haven't even there's, there's just so, so much, much more in this movie. there's so but, much more and yeah there's this movie's just so great there's so many you could do an hour episode on each individual theme you know what i mean yeah but but like the after she uh kills herself or after oppenheimer you know gets word that she's died or whatever and he's kind of having a breakdown and then kitty finds him and she's like, you can't, uh, I can't remember how she puts it, but she's like, you can't sin and then like have people to feel sorry for you or something like that. Yeah. You can't, um, you can't commit the sin and then that's ask it. people to, or yeah, it, it was yeah, something like it. you can't commit the sin and then ask for, uh, sympathy. Exactly. And it's like, obvi- that's, you know, talking about him having an affair with, uh, Tatlock, yeah. but also it's, you know, it, it, very it, much it a correlation to, to yes. the bomb. Very yep. much so, like very, very obviously, much, yeah. and, and it's like yeah. you can't you can't do this, and then that's why you know Truman in the that meeting, it's like yeah, I've you know I created this bomb, and Truman's like yeah, but I dropped it, so like you got nothing to yeah. complain about, like I'm the one that has to deal with it, and it's like you can't you can't you know carry around this sympathy or feel sorry for me uh, that he does in this like the third hour of this movie. And, you know, when, and that's what he struggles with. He's like, how can I even feel bad for it? And like, you well, see him wrestling the with all you, these you different. You also are like that. You're like, man, do I feel bad for him? Exactly. You know, you know you're supposed I mean? you're like, to feel complicated. I feel bad for him? 
exactly. Yeah. You're supposed to feel complicated about about him and like because he's, he's feeling complicated he's too in his life. Yeah. Yeah. And you're supposed to um, also be wondering like I don't know, was he the right guy to kind of trust with all this? You know what I mean? And was and yeah, it was what would you you know what what should have been done? What was uh like would you have done any better? You know what I mean? Right. And yeah, it's uh but yeah, it's uh super impressive. And jeez. Um we oh, didn't yeah. we didn't now talk about We haven't even talked about the score yet, Ryan. We haven't talked about the score. We haven't talked about how it deals with interestingly deals with communism and like left-wing politics in a i would say uh sympathetic light especially compared to a lot of people have been complaining about nolan films not all of them but a lot of nolan films that he's a right-wing filmmaker or slightly right-wing which i don't i didn't even well I didn't go that deep. I, I think guess. the I first one, deep, but I didn't. <laughs> it was, you know, because in the Dark Knight, it's very, it's like, well, is this an apologia for um, the Patriot Act when he right. hacks into everybody's phones? And it's like, we need authoritarian, authoritarian rule, and I'm going to take all the power, and then because I know how it should be done, you know, of, yeah. uh, and then the Dark Knight Rises, uh, people were looked at as like a, you know against the like uh occupy wall street things and like bane was a stand-in for occupy wall street and like you know when everybody takes over the city blah 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 but i mean i don't necessarily read i don't think nolan is a i don't think that's what he was doing with those movies i think first of all the dark knight is a far more philosophical movie he's dealing with ideas rather than politics and i don't think the dark knight rises is doing that even though i i just think the dark knight rises is a sloppy movie (laughs) <laughs> it's like not great storytelling, but Dude, um, we haven't even talked about the format of storytelling of this movie. Of this movie, all right. Let me biopic. Let, let me let me finish off this yeah. communist. But I just think it's interesting. Like very, I think you know, communism is very much dealt with sympathetically here. And like, hey, maybe it's not great that we were you know rooting out, um, which I think you know obviously people have <laughs> McCarthyism died for a reason, but. You know, it's it was kind of you know he when he's getting tried, it's during the McCarthy era of rooting out anybody with even slightly left sympathies and um, rooting them out of politics, no matter what they're capable of or what you know their intelligence or whatever. Um, right. Or even if they just went to one you know communist party meeting twenty years ago, like Kitty, um, or you know, I guess she was a party member, but you know what I mean. Like, she hasn't had anything affiliated with it for 15 years, but they're still tying it back because, like, it was a way to get people you didn't like out of positions of power, you know? And it kind of deals with that as, you know, this movie kind of deals with that and shows, like, maybe we shouldn't um, <laughs> shouldn't push smart people out of, you know, important jobs just because we either don't like their politics or have a, you know, a gripe with them. Because right. they embarrassed us in a hearing once, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's I just think it's interesting, you know, because people have had questions about Nolan's uh, political right. leanings um, and how he's portrayed them in films. Like I said, I don't think I necessarily agree with that, but uh, it's I, I I just think it's worthwhile talking about, especially considering how big of a fit a lot of people threw about Barbie. And it's politics. I think this is far more of a political movie. I mean, this whole movie's politics. Yes. Um, the entire movie's <laughs> politics. Which is so kind of like, crazy because I watched, 
I, I mean, I, we, we both have seen Barbie, and we'll talk about this next week or next episode, I'm sure. But, like, I walked out of there, and I was just like, I get it. But at the same time, dude, to make, to make this, like, the political divider <laughs> crazy. right now is wild, man. It's yeah. such a stretch to pull in a satirical, fun movie and, and yeah. do that to it. It's wild to me. But anyways, that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, yeah, like, I had I had problems with some of the screenplay in Barbie. Like, I don't think it, you know, but like I said, like you said, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I'm like, yeah, I was like, that's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not offensive to me. But, um, yeah, do you want to talk about um, the score real quick and then we'll wrap it up? <laughs> well, so I think. Or the story structure. I guess we got to talk about that too. Uh, so <laughs> I do, I guess I want to start with the story structure because that's the thing that blew me away the most with this um and the use of i talked a little bit about the black and white and how it gives two different perspectives um of events and and also times uh i also really like first of all i really like that like the black and white is the current i that's not quote unquote done. current current yeah yeah right <laughs> like but that like that's not often done you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think that was really cool because you're though though it, that is important it's almost like the afterburner to the to the actual story. Mm-hmm. So um, till the third hour, all, yeah, it's right. It's not actually, or it's not almost the uh, afterburner. It is the afterburner, but it does yeah, fuel. But it also true. fuels the story, though, because mm-hmm. you're you're hearing you're getting this perspective from the hearings, and you're learning these things, and then you're going back and seeing how that worked in. But to do a biopic like this, and and to jump around someone's life so much but yet not be but like it, it's so easy to follow at the same time it's i, I would love yeah. to and i know nolan isn't big on storyboards he might like draw out a scene or two if he's really trying to convey something but he's not massively huge on storyboards um and i i just think it's kind of insane to put together something this brilliant like that you know yeah and i mean it, it obviously draws similarities to memento both right. in a lot of them, yeah. You know, it's color and black and white split up, but also like there's two different stories going on. It's right. like the objective, and then it's you know the color stuff. You're seeing it through Leonard's eyes, and then the the black and white. It's like or the color stuff. It's like the story is progressing, blah 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 blah, and then the black and white is like the telling of the story. I guess yeah. if you want to word it like that, and you know they're cross cutted to, you know. It, there's a very famous like diagram that Nolan writes out on a whiteboard and like it's a big loop and then he's like and that cross cuts here and here and here and that's when we <laughs> go from black and white to color blah 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 but you know it's very much um, uh, draws similarities to that but yeah but also like you know the the colors uh, you know in Oppenheimer's eyes everything is through his point of view and then the the black and white is you know it's it's more I guess objective um, or you could say through Strauss's point of view, uh, you know, like here's what happened, you know, I guess, I guess the black and white is all through Strauss's point of view. I don't think there's anything in black and white that's not. Um, but, but yeah, no, I do think that's, um, a very interesting way to set up the structure, but also it's amazing how fast this movie goes. Like yes. it is moving dude, it did not feel like three speed. hours, you know, and you know me, man, my biggest complaint on movies is I felt like they were too long or it could this doesn't been, feel too long. Shorter. Not at all. This is no. perfect. And I, I kind of went into it like, poof, man, three hours. Like that's going to be a, excuse me. I was like, that's going to be a haul. 
Mm-hmm. Dude went in there. I just ate lunch, so I was like full. <laughs> and uh, I was gonna buy a drink, but the line was long, and I was like, nah, don't really care. Didn't drink, didn't eat, didn't go to the bathroom. Three hours sat there, no big deal. Walked out mm-hmm. and was couldn't have been happier. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, I mean, the, especially the first two hours, it's I mean, it's breakneck speed. Dude, it's moving it's, so and fast. it's so yeah, Perfect, it's so like, everything, amazing everything. Things. You're like yes, yes, yes. Even the apple scene, you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you like keep going. Um, and part of that is the score. I mean, like, it, oh, Ryan you know, the with the transition, my guy. Okay. <laughs> it's going. It's it's just like keeping you. It's just yeah. like you're just going and going and going and going. And then you finally hit, you know, silence. The Trinity test for the, like the Trinity thirty test, seconds, like with because you didn't know what to. It's expect. when the movie flips, dude. I didn't know what to expect, but yeah, that was the first time that there was like complete silence in the mm-hmm. film, and it was perfect because I think everybody's expect like. I remember sitting in the theater being like, oh, man, when that thing goes off, it's going to be loud in here. Mm-hmm. Like, it has to be, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, the crescendo building up to it and then just, like, the drop. And, com- dude, it was completely silent in the theater, too. It was a really cool moment. Like, that goes back to the theater-going experience, right? Like, me in the entire theater, it was probably it – was, it was mostly full. I would say – I would say, like, 90% full. The – like part of the movie going experience is just like you and a community of people watching the movie. And when it cuts to complete silence and there was not a single thing heard in that, I was like, this is a cool moment. And like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that too. Um, I think the score was done so well and everybody, I, I, not everybody. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, uh, I almost said Oppenheimer's boy, no one, no one's dude. Uh, for the score is usually Hans Zimmer, but because of Dune filming, um, he wasn't available, and it was Ludwig. I'm gonna mess it up, Gorenson, uh, who also did the score for Tenet. He did Tenet. great. Yeah. yeah. So he's worked with Nolan before. Um, dude, amazing. And him and Nolan had a, they they decided not to use any drums in the entire score, which I thought was so. Uh, I thought that was like really cool. And I don't know why. I, I was just like, I, I think that's like to, the reasoning was that they they felt like the drums would make it feel, and this is according to, um, I read it on Wikipedia, but uh, they felt like the drums would make it feel more mil- militaristic than what he was going for. And, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking a little bit about politics and how it's invaded into entertainment and vice versa. And uh, I think, you know, for him to do a straight up political movie and for it not to feel like that um and in like these little nuances like like removing or not having any drums included in the score of the entire movie kind of is what makes it you know yeah super interesting yeah very Um, interesting but yeah i uh yeah the score i the score and the editing just keep it like boom boom like you just feel and you're just like on the edge of your seat the whole time yeah and then like I said, especially the first two hours, you get to the Trinity test. It's been like moving like crazy. The third hour slows a little bit because, of course, you're losing that strain of the story of the, you know, building and building of the bomb and the testing. Yeah. But, but like, I still think, I mean, this still moves like at a perfect pace, I think. It's, yeah, it's so um, good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, Dude, we didn't even get to talk about how fusion and fission were used. And how they were layered into this movie. Oh, like too. the title but, cards uh, and stuff. Yeah, the title cards and like kind of how how the acting represented that. 
We'll talk on and talk about it for a second. Oh, I wasn't that ready, Ryan. Okay, just, that's I'm trying right. to sound smart. We'll dude. skip it. We'll I don't even it. know the difference between fission and fusion right now. <laughs> so fission is splitting, right? Fission splitting. Fusion would be, fusion yeah. is yeah. So like the title card fission at the beginning, it, it you. I think it's interesting because uh, fission is the split. There is going to be this split between Strauss and and Oppenheimer, and you're trying to figure out when, because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, they're on the same team, right? Like he hired him, and they're homies. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out where this split happened, this this fission happened. Um, and then the fusion is very much a fusion, like a, a mending of the mind, a bringing together of the minds, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of, I like the way that it parallels with both that uh, fission and fusion. And I think that goes to say, like goes to Nolan's intelligence on being able to, to bring those concepts in and make it relatable um, to film while maintaining the storyline of a biopic you know yeah without without really like for him to understand fission and fusion and how it applied in oppenheimer's life and take that same idea and look at oppenheimer's life and find points of story structure throughout that to add into his story structure is crazy yeah it's crazy and that's like that's nolan that's nolan baby you know like yeah Whew. Um, well, so I guess we I did keep, know a little bit about it. There we go. We could, uh, we could probably keep talking for a while, but, uh, we should probably wrap it up. We've been going for a while now. Um, we have been going longer than the entire score of Oppenheimer, like of actual titled songs, uh, is together. Just uh, a fun fact. Fun fact. Um, so unless you have anything else pressing, um, I guess we'll wrap it up. Ryan's like, Ty, stop talking, dude. We're done. <laughs> I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, we'll look. I mean, we can keep talking, but I think that's uh, that's probably good because we I could talk right. about Nolan's portrayal of uh, his female characters. Um, oh yeah, I mean, his that's... first sex scene in ever. Well, yeah, his first and sex he, scene in ever. Interesting. And he talked about that too. And in China, this is interesting. I saw this the other day, and we kind of talked about CGI a little bit. This isn't pressing, and you're probably mad right now. You're rolling your eyes. I, mean, I am. I see through the I am. But um, for the movie to be released in some films, or <laughs> for the movie to be released in some countries, uh, the film um, used CGI to put a black dress on. I saw that. Gene Tatlock, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, if you would, I would have bet, well, <laughs> I would bet any amount of money that you were wrong if you told me that. Uh, Oppenheimer said his most famous words that he ever said, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, yeah. uh, while Florence Pugh straddled him naked. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, <laughs> I would have bet any amount of dollars that you were wrong if you said that was happening, yeah, but it was great. The the way, the, yeah, the like the way, I mean, yeah, dude, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, yeah, not only his first sex scene, because Nolan very much, not a sex scene type of guy, very much, you know, the analytical side of things, but, um, which also ties into, you know, people always get, he kind of gets a lot of flack for how he writes his female characters and his, uh, you know, trope of dead wives, um, and, you know, haunting his, you know, the main character. Um, and you know, you got, you got your not wife, but dead, uh, romantic interest in Gene Tatlock here. And, you know, she's kind of, she doesn't get a lot of screen time. And then Kitty doesn't get a lot of screen time. Um, though I think Emily Brunt's, you know, very good in this. But um, 
you know, you could say like, well, you know, they didn't, Nolan didn't really put a lot of focus on them, but also like Oppenheimer didn't put a lot, you know, he was kind of a womanizer yeah. who didn't, I don't know if necessarily, cause like him and Kitty stayed married for, you know, a long time, but I don't know how much he respected women or maybe not even women so much as other people. Yeah. <laughs> like it seemed, you know, he kind of, uh, you know, like when his brother has his girlfriend um, and Oppenheimer's very dismissive of her and like doesn't even remember her name when they go to the, you know, that yeah. first party. Yeah. And you can see how much like she hates him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like just how dismissive he is. And it's kind of like and maybe it's a cop out to say that. But like like this, you know, the story structure is like through Oppenheimer's point of view and like how he kind of yeah. distances from. And like I said, not only women, but like. You know, he just, but Strauss or Strauss as well. Like he doesn't respect Strauss and, yeah. uh, you know, makes fun of him during the, um, whatever the one committee meeting or whatever it was hearing. And, you know, he kind of just puts himself above other people. And I think that is how it kind of works, you yeah. know, in the structure and like how you kind of believe that, you know, even though he's in love with these people or, um, these women, that you kind of still buy into how the story is structured and they're kind of um, the weight they hold in his life or in his life. Um, Because yeah, he just kind of, which is another thing. He's another thing about the, like the duality thing. He's like, he's so thoughtful about so many things, but like, but you know, he has this great intellect, but you know, he struggles with the morality of what he's done. And you know, he, you know, loves, loves these people but then like he also like dismisses them so it's it's um just another thing that kind of holds together the themes of this movie yeah um but that's all i got that's all i need to say i didn't need to say any of this but anyway (laughs) dude Um, we've been we've been going for an hour and 40 (laughs) crazy dude and we and i think we could probably go another hour and 40 uh probably if if we had more films like this, man, I don't know what I, if I could get anything done. <laughs> I might be a cinephile, dude. Uh, there's lots of films, Ty. Go back in film history. There's many films. No, I, you know what I mean, though. You I, still got to get work done. Dude, the, <laughs> the thing that interested me, like, kind of, not I don't want to say the most, but, like, really interested me about, uh, uh, no, nah, never mind, never mind. I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> never mind. I was gonna, I was gonna pull in uh, like similarities between this and there will be blood and like why I would like it, but um, it doesn't matter. I'm not gonna. We're not going there. We're not going there. All right. Well, this is this. uh, I guess it sounds like a good time to wrap it up. So, uh, if if you don't have anything else, right? I I don't. No, surprise. Okay. I don't. Yeah. So we've referenced we've referenced it a couple times, but. What are we doing in a couple weeks, Ty? Uh, did we talk about it already? I'm just kidding. We're doing Barbie. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna be doing Barbie, baby. Um, so yeah, I don't really know what more to do about that. I saw a news article that a funeral home in El Paso, Texas, is doing pink coffins because of Barbie. Anyways. Oh wow. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> Two weeks. Barbie. Next episode. Barbie. It will Barbie. not be this long. <laughs> probably not we'll do the second half of barbenheimer in two weeks um until then ty where can people find us 
You can get at us on Twitter and Instagram at Roll It Podcast. We'd love for you to send us movie suggestions. We'd love for your thoughts on Oppenheimer, your thoughts on Barbie, anything uh, movie-related, podcast-related, um, shoot it on over to us. You can also get to us the old-school way, Roll It Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, other than that, make sure you're uh, subscribed to us on those and on your little little listening platform, and, and thanks. Yeah, I don't have anything else. Anything for you, Ryan? Uh, not really. Yeah, um, we're, I think we were talking about this earlier. We're going to try to be more uh, attentive or um, active, maybe active. That's the right word. Active yeah. on social media. Um, post more. Um, so yeah, it would help if you uh, spread the word. You know, on social media or in real life about the podcast. Um, recommend this. Everybody saw Oppenheimer. Um, and so honestly, recommend if, you, if you're still recommend this podcast. Somebody. Yeah, if you're still listening right now, dude, <laughs> to this podcast, and, and, and after an hour, and you're like, man, I just can't get enough of these guys talking. Do us a massive favor and just send send this podcast to a couple friends then, because you're you're invested. And yeah, we appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'd really appreciate it. Um, so, but that's that's all I got. Um, and I guess we'll see y'all in two weeks with. Barbie.